UFC President Dana White, like many powerful people, can and will say and do whatever it is he needs to in a particular moment in order to achieve the ends that he's aiming for. And if those words or actions happen to be contradicted later, he doesn't care. You can call him out, play a recording of what he said, show it to him in writing. He's just gonna call you a goof and move on with his day. Who gives a shit? At least usually, but on rare occasions, DFW will admit that he made a mistake or misspoke. And today we're going to take a look at 10 such times where Uncle Dana did a 180 and fessed up to it. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 times Dana White actually admitted he was wrong. Number 10. Figueredo's Missing Performance Bonus Remember UFC 255 last November? It was headlined by God of War Davidson Figueredo in his first ever flyweight title defense against Alex Perez and the guy absolutely dominated. Less than two minutes in, he had secured a guillotine choke for the win, an absolute cakewalk for the reigning defending 125 pounder. Now, the bout certainly wasn't going to earn fight of the night, but putting away the surging Perez in less time than it takes to heat up a frozen burrito could certainly have warranted a performance bonus. But those would go to Joaquin Buckley for his KO of Jordan Wright, no spinning back kick needed, and Antonina Shevchenko for TKO the Queen of Violence, her first such loss in the UFC. Not a ton of controversy there, but things just didn't sit right with Uncle Dana, even though I have to believe he's heavily involved in the bonus deciding process. So four days later, he brought Figgy to his office to let him know he made a mistake, saying, quote, I fucked up, and that he intended to correct it. In a video posted by Kratos' manager, the champ can be seen hanging out with a dieseled up Dana White while holding in his hand a big-ass stack of cash that came from a little UFC gift bag. Very pride FC, I dig it. Must have been a pain trying to deposit 50 G's in cash to the bank, though. Have you ever seen this much cash in your entire life? Number 9. One More Silva Fight The fact that Halloween was essentially cancelled in 2020 due to the ongoing pandemic was not the only reason to be sad on October 31st. Fan favorite and legend Anderson Silva, at 45 years old, was stepping back into the cage for the first time since May of 2019. Silva's last win came two years earlier in a questionable decision over Derek Brunson. If you don't count the Diaz win that was taken away, the Spider's last victory was Stefan Bonner in 2012. He'd lost six times since then. The point I'm trying to illustrate here is that the sun was setting on the former middleweight champion's career, and his TKO loss on Halloween to Uriah Hall had everybody feeling pretty bad, including Hall. I love you. I'm Thank so you. Sorry. I'm so sorry. There was no joy in watching a fading legend continue on too long, and afterwards Dana White admitted it was a bad idea. And I made a big mistake. I shouldn't have let him fight this fight tonight. He's a legend of this sport and he's a legend of this company. Out of respect, I did something that I that I disagreed with and, and, and Anderson Silva should never fight again. Pretty rare to see DFW admit he struggled with something and ultimately made the wrong decision. We all know he has a soft spot at times for the veterans and has trouble letting them go, but it's pretty rare to hear him actually express that sentiment. Number eight, firing a judge mid-card. When the UFC goes to a locale that doesn't have sanctioning bodies for mixed martial arts, they essentially self-regulate, which, as you can imagine, complicates things just a bit. And on occasion, the promotion has muddied the waters of legitimacy through decisions they made as their own regulators. Case in point being an incident that took place at UFC Macau in 2014. The first two fights of the night were scored controversially as split decisions, the dissenting judge in the second bout giving the loser a 30-27. It was at that point that Dana White, the regulator, decided to step in and told Judge Howard Hughes to take the rest of the night off. White said, quote, 
quote, let him grab some beer and some popcorn and go sit down and start watching some fights, not judging them. And so that's what happened. I can't confirm that Hughes ate popcorn or had a beer though. What I can confirm is that he scored both bouts he judged 29-28 for the fighter that ended up winning. Yeah, Dana didn't even fire the right guy. It was a pretty bold move by the UFC to relieve Hughes anyway, especially considering White takes very seriously the perception of the UFC as a legitimate sports entity. But to get the wrong guy, well, Dana had no choice but to release an official statement and then admit his mistake during his next media scrum. I got a little crazy and I overstepped my bounds. Uh, it's not the first time and hopefully that's the last time I'll ever do that. So. The UFC hasn't been too keen on dismissing judges since then, even if they wanted to. Number seven, Darren Till's early push. Five fights into his UFC career, you kind of got the sense that Darren Till was going to be a big star. He was interesting, he was charismatic, he decimated Donald Cerrone in his first ever headlining show. It kind of felt like we were witnessing the rise of Liverpool's own Conor McGregor. His next bout would main event in his hometown, and the place went absolutely nuts. Again, shades of Conor in Dublin. He would solve the puzzle that is Stephen Thompson on that night. He had all the momentum in the world, and later that year, when interim welterweight champion Colby Covington was unable to meet a date with champ Tyron Woodley, Till was given his shot at gold after just two high-profile bouts. It would go horrifically. The challenger landed a single punch in two rounds, got beat up, and finished with a Darce choke. Next, he would headline again, this time in London, a try at getting back some of that momentum he'd lost, and he would be shockingly KO'd by Jorge Masvidal. A few months later, Dana White admitted that maybe they put too much on Till too fast. After the win over Cowboy, we might have pushed him a little too soon. Mm -hmm. It happens sometimes when, when a guy gets that much steam behind him, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give him some time. An interesting admission about how a fighter's perceived momentum publicly led them to throw him in the fire prematurely. Number six, Cyborg's UFC career. If I say Chris Cyborg and Dana White in the same sentence, you're going to immediately think of the absolutely brutal relationship the two have had over the years that culminated in 2019 with the UFC getting out of the Cyborg business. But for a fleeting moment in the middle there, it would appear that White at least in part recognized that they weren't doing right by Cyborg in the UFC. Of course, we all know about Dana's outright refusal to bring Chris into the promotion at the height of the Rousey era, giving every excuse in the book as to why arguably the greatest female fighter in the world wasn't in the UFC. And then when they finally did bring her into the fold six months after Ronda went AWOL, they did so for some reason at a 140-pound catchweight, something that appeared to be quite literally killing Cyborg, and served absolutely no purpose. But then the UFC announced a featherweight division, and finally, after four years essentially in exile, Cyborg would get a chance to hold a world title in the sport's biggest promotion. A month before Chris would compete for the vacant title at UFC 214, Dana had this to say about his handling of her career. She's had a rough go here in the UFC, you know? She hasn't been thrilled um, with things that have been said, things that have been done, and to be honest with you, we, we've, uh, we've made some mistakes when it comes to Cyborg. Considering just how contentious their relationship had been prior, that brief admittance that he didn't handle Cyborg's career properly is pretty shocking to see. And whether sincere or not, it at least showed that Dana very much understood the situation. White then made a commitment to doing things right as it pertained to Chris's career, but as we all know, things would sour again only two years later. Number five, Kimbo Slice sucks, or does he? The Paul brothers may at the moment be ruining boxing with their complete lack of credibility in freak show fights against opponents who are either wrestlers or too old or too small or both, but MMA had a crisis of its own in the early 2000s when Kimbo Slice became the biggest star in the whole sport. Now, unlike the Pauls, Kimbo earned his notoriety by fighting. He was the most popular street fighter the internet had ever seen, and with his web fame, upstart promotion Elite XC signed Slice, and over the course of 2007 and 2008, put on some massive shows that aired on Showtime and CBS. People were thinking the promotion might be legit competition 
competition for the UFC. And while Dana had plenty to say about the promotion's star, Kimbo Slice sucks, like I've said now for the last few months. When will we see Kimbo Slice in the octagon? As soon as he beats somebody. <laughs> Kimbo sucks. Following the debacle of the Petrozelli fight, White had this to say to ESPN, quote, I would never bring Kimbo Slice into my organization. Somehow, between that October and the following summer, White apparently changed his tune and was now pushing the narrative that he had always said the only way he could make it was through the ultimate fighter. But if there was one thing he was clear on before, it's that Kimbo sucks and he's not a fighter. I know he's a fighter. I know Kimbo's a fighter. White would go on to say that if he won the contract, he would get into the UFC. He, of course, did not win the season, but did have two fights for the promotion. On the finale where he beat Houston Alexander, and then a loss to Matt Mitrione at UFC 113. As was often the case with Kimbo, White's perception of him was inaccurate, and he would tell Ariel Hawani following his final fight for the promotion, he was glad he met him. Number 4. The UFC Sale it was the spring of 2016 when Dana White's best friend Darren Rovell of ESPN broke the news that the UFC was close to finalizing a deal on the sale of the promotion. Days later, White would be on damage control duty, hitting up mainstream outlets like The Dan Patrick Show to tell everyone the story was bogus. I've been saying since this thing came out, no, we're not for sale. White would go on to say that they were actually expanding the company and made it seem that if there was some kind of deal going on, it was that and not a sale of the promotion. Now, as history would go, the UFC sold to WMEIMG that July for $4 billion, and obviously, White would have no choice but to confirm that story at that point. I mean, what was he going to say, that there weren't new owners? Truthfully, this contradiction I can understand a bit. The deal was enormous, and there were a lot of moving parts. Dana was clearly trying to keep the goings-on as private as possible to avoid any kind of hiccup, but it's still pretty funny since it's one of the rare instances we can just flat out call Dana a fibber. Is it really that rare? Number three, Fedor's goat status. The thing about Dana White is when he's in promoter mode, he's gonna say a lot of things that maybe contradict previous statements. So-and-so is the greatest fighter in the world. They also happen to be fighting on the next pay-per-view. Ask me again in a month, and I'll probably have a different answer. One thing that he has been consistent on over the years, however, is that Fedor Emelianenko absolutely sucks. Seriously, Dana's disdain for The Last Emperor is only rivaled probably by Tito. Now, surely Dana didn't actually think that, of course. It was marketing, it was strategy. I mean, sure, he brought a printout of a forum post from Sherdog or The Underground to present to Ariel Helwani about how many cans Fedor has fought over the years. And we all remember him gloating after Verdum finally ended Emelianenko's unbeaten run. But it's also been very well documented that White relentlessly pursued the Russian fighter for years after his run in Pride, trying to get him on the UFC roster with some absolutely ludicrous offers, and ultimately failing time and time again, often publicly venting his frustrations afterwards and again trying to downplay or dismiss Fedor's legacy. But in 2012, after Emelianenko had retired, Dana let the facade slip just a bit during a Metro PCS live chat where he was asked, do you think Fedor is one of the greatest heavyweights ever? And he replied, yeah, he's one of the greatest heavyweights ever. I'll give you that. We did it, people. After years of bashing him, White finally admitted it. What makes this admission particularly interesting is that this was at a point that White had truly believed the last emperor had called it a career, so he had no reason to be anything but honest. Of course, he just couldn't help himself when he continued the answer, though. White added, is he one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time? You're out of your minds. Oh, so he's just one of the best heavyweights but not overall. Got it, Dana. Cool stuff. I think that's about as close as those two will ever get to exchanging Christmas cards. Number two, Nate Diaz moving the needle. There's Needle Movers, and then there's Nate Diaz. The Stockton star has been one of the biggest names in the sport over the last five years or so, following his legendary call-out of Conor McGregor and subsequent pair of fights with the Irishman. But Dana White famously didn't see it in him. During an extended absence from the cage in late 2013 through to late 2014, White had this to say about Nate's popularity or lack thereof. Seems like it's popular when you're looking on fucking Twitter and, and some websites. We know who moves needles and who doesn't move needles. He doesn't move the needle. 
that phrase DFW used repeatedly that fight week would stick, mainly because it's one of those instances where Dana was just dead wrong, and was proved so a little over a year later, when the pair of fights with McGregor absolutely broke the box office, bringing in a combined 3 million pay-per-view buys. Following those massive paydays, Nate would disappear yet again for nearly three years, but upon his return in the lead-up to UFC 241, Dana was forced to finally admit it. Pretty tough to deny. He's a needle mover now. Oh, so he's a needle mover now. Sorry, I had to do it. Number one, no women in the UFC. I would imagine this ended up being one of those times that Dana White was glad he was wrong about something. Now, White had said this many times before, but famously back in 2011, after receiving flowers for some reason, a paparazzo looking for any kind of quotable hit the jackpot when he asked, When are we going to see women in the uh, UFC, man? Never. Never? <laughs> Never. A decade after Dana hopped into that SUV, the UFC now has four women's divisions, an official pound-for-pound -pound list, and some of the most beloved fighters in the entire sport are women. The fight of the year in 2020 was between two women, and Ronda Rousey was one of the biggest draws the sport has ever had. It was the Rowdy One's rise to popularity in the two years following that now infamous quote that prompted Dana to change his stance on women never fighting in the UFC, opening up the bantamweight division, and then rolling out the other three over the course of the next four years. As for Dana's thoughts on 2011, Dana... What an idiot that guy was. <laughs> When the UFC had their new headquarters built just a few years back, Dana White had his office adorned with two huge black and white photos. One of them, Connor facing off with Floyd, the other, Amanda Nunez, double champ. So you were wrong. Huge shout out to Max Randall for editing this video together. Follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.